Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Bartles, a cropping systems educator with Nebraska Extension, serving Butler and Polk counties. And today we'll be joined by Dr. Tamara Jackson-Zims, and we'll be talking about seed selection for disease management. How are you doing today? I'm great, and thank you for having me on today. Great. And for those that don't know, can you tell us a little bit more about your role in Extension? So... I am an extension plant pathologist and I have statewide responsibility to help people recognize, prevent, and manage diseases of corn, grain sorghum, and now soybean too. Great. So 2020 was an interesting year for diseases and it was an important problem in some of our corn and soybean fields in several parts of Nebraska. Can producers expect to see these same diseases again in 2021? Well, we did have some interesting things happen this year and not, not of course, all good things. And the unfortunate part is, is that it's a good lesson in that almost all of the diseases that affect our crops are caused by pathogens that overwinter in either the infected crop residue or debris or in the soil. And so there's a very high likelihood that if weather conditions are favorable for that pathogen and disease, that you're going to see it again if you have susceptible soybean or corn or whatever crop out there. And so it probably helps us to be cognizant of what we've had in the past and also familiar with which conditions do support some of those diseases to develop. So with those diseases that were present this year fresh in their minds, would you recommend that those producers maybe take some notes for each field so they know what they had present or do you have other recommendations? I think that's a good idea. I think especially if you had a serious disease, something that maybe was more severe than normal, that you should keep track of that and maybe also which hybrids maybe have did not perform in the presence of that disease too. And that's with the understanding that it may happen again. That's not always the case with every disease. And I'll just point out that our rust diseases, for instance, are caused by fungi that don't overwinter. And so we saw a lot of rust this year. And folks in southeast and south central Nebraska would say they see a little bit of rust every year but that's still blowing up from the south and not overwintering and so it it really affects your strategy moving forward uh, not just for that disease but others. Yes I did walk through some fields with some southern rust and came out looking a little orange so it was pretty happy this year in its development Is there anything producers might consider to reduce losses due to diseases next year? Yes, there is. And I think we don't always, of course, think about next year and pest management during the winter time. But I really like to emphasize the importance of hybrid and variety selection for disease management. Many people maybe aren't thinking about that. You know, our number one priority is always yield. And Another way that we can manage diseases without the use of pesticides or reducing the amount of inputs might be selection of varieties and hybrids that have a little more resistance to certain diseases that you may be seeing as problematic on your farm or in certain fields. And 
one of the things that I think is important to say is that when I say resistance, I'm not implying that we should select immune hybrids or varieties and expecting one to be immune is unrealistic. When a plant pathologist talks about resistance, it's a little bit different than what some of the other pest management disciplines do. We're implying that there's less disease in a hybrid or in a variety and not necessarily that there's no disease. And so there's a huge variety, and I mean diversity, in how corn hybrids and soybean varieties react to diseases. And if you look closely at many of our seed company catalogs, you'll notice that there's a lot of categories and ratings in some of those, and they provide feedback on how they would expect those varieties and hybrids to react in the presence of some diseases. And those ratings, although they can be confusing, they can be very important in selecting the right ones and working with your seed company rep to do that too and reminding them what diseases you had and what your concerns are. The second part of that too is that resistance usually to a disease, we're not talking about genetically engineered traits. So you're not necessarily going to have a high tech fee associated with it. So it usually shouldn't greatly increase the cost of that seed selection either. And it might be a way that you can reduce input cost for the following year. Sounds like that would be a great way if you did have a field that, you know, had a history of a certain disease and a lot of that pathogen had built up in the residue. A great option. Look at some of those different hybrids and varieties to see possibly what else might be out there that could work in your operation. And now would be a great time. I know a lot of people are probably buying seed to get that early discount. Just things like you said that we might not think about going into winter, but might be a good time to think about those. When do producers know they should be considering diseases for resistant hybrids and varieties? I think that I would consider whether my field or fields are at high risk for disease development. And clearly we can't very accurately predict the weather that far in advance. So you won't know if conditions may be wet or very cool or some other condition that may support disease, but you are at higher risk if you've had severe disease in the past with any of those that can overwinter. Just like you said, we have a greater load, inoculum load, going into winter, so you'll have more that we would expect to survive into the next season, ready to cause disease again when you rotate back. And so that would be something that I would consider. Again, uh, if you're trying to look at ways you can reduce input costs, that might be one way you can do that. And I would also keep in mind too that unfortunately some of the common production practices that we're using now you know, we use uh, some of those for other reasons, for soil health and, and other management reasons, but some of them do increase the risk for certain diseases, ones like when we plant continuous corn or continuous soybean, or when we're using minimum or no tillage. And we have great reasons for doing all of those, but they can all increase our risk of several diseases. And that might mean it's even more important to select disease-resistant varieties and that you may have to rely more often on the use of foliar fungicides if you're using any of those practices. Yeah, it's all a balancing act, isn't it? To try to it sure is. risk, but also get all the benefits of, of all the other aspects in the field. These are hard decisions. Yes. 
Are there specific diseases for which producers should consider selecting resistant hybrids and varieties? Absolutely. And, you know, I always have a list of things in my head to be on the lookout for and ready to react to during the season and warn people about. And, you know, some of the common ones that we've seen in corn for the last handful of years, for instance, I think about this past year, we actually saw more northern corn leaf blight in some areas. And, you know, that's a fungal disease. And although it wasn't severe in most areas, it was in a few areas and a few people did need to use fungicides on that disease. And also gray leaf spots very common. We didn't see as much gray leaf spot this year because probably of cooler night temperatures. But in contrast, that supported the northern corn leaf blight. So we saw an increase of that. But we have resistance to both of those diseases. And so you might think back to what you've seen, not just this past year, but historically. And watch those ratings on the hybrids that you are selecting. On the other side, though, I would also strongly recommend people to select resistant varieties, especially for bacterial diseases. Bacterial leaf streak was very severe in some fields this year. You know, it's a newer disease to many people, and it may be alarming. And for instance, this year I saw bacterial leaf streak by mid-season was all the way to the top of the plant in many fields. It looked pretty bad out there. But we know that this is a difficult disease for our companies to work with, and we're working with them on that too difficult for them to collect the data they need to share with you in ratings. So you don't have ratings very commonly for some of them, but what's out there is helpful. But even just that conversation with your seed company rep. The other example most people are more familiar with is Goss's wilt or more appropriately Goss's bacterial wilt and blight. This one has a, his, a historic uh, precedence in Nebraska and Although we don't normally see it until after some wounding event like hail or high winds, this is one that sneaks up on people because if they haven't seen it in a handful of years, maybe they don't actively select a resistant corn hybrid and then they have a surprise, a light hail event and suddenly it's everywhere. And so if you've had it in the past, I would continue to select a resistant hybrid for that because they do work really well and we do have good ratings for the Goss's wilt. Finally, on corn, southern rust is one that I'd bring up, and maybe not for reasons you might think. You know, I mentioned earlier the pathogen-causing southern rust is a fungus. It does not overwinter in Nebraska, though. It, we literally watch it blow up here on southern winds from some of those southern states, and although it doesn't overwinter, in irrigated areas, especially in southeast and south central Nebraska, we continue to see this almost every year. And some years it's quite severe. And, you know, when I started some 15 years ago, we didn't have resistance for southern rust. But now we do. Some of our uh, companies are working more to incorporate resistance or select for variety or hybrids that have some resistance. And that could be valuable to folks growing in those areas where they see it repeatedly. And so I think that'd definitely be worth your time. When we switch and think about soybean, we've got some very good examples of how resistance can save you money as far as disease management. And one of the best ones is for sudden death syndrome. And so we've got really good data 
from regional projects from across the Midwest that soybean varieties that are resistant to SDS can reduce disease severity by as much as 80%. And that's a huge savings for you. And we also now have some seed treatment fungicides that we know do a good job managing sudden death syndrome like Alevo and Saltro are the two that come to mind that we have now. And so uh, the variety selection is number one that's given us the best control. But if you've had severe disease in the past, widespread over one or more fields, it may also pay for you to add that seed, one of those seed treatments on top of your resistant variety. Next one I would consider selecting resistant variety for might be frog eye leaf spot. And frog eye leaf spot maybe wasn't severe for some people in 2020, but it was in some places further north in the state and even the year before. And you've been hearing more and more talk about frog eye because now at the University of Nebraska, we've confirmed fungicide resistance in that pathogen to the group 11 QOI fungicides or what we used to call strobilurins, a very important group of fungicides, but now they don't work well on that disease. And we're just learning how widespread that might be doing a survey right now. But one way that you can uh, help mitigate that is just trying to get a hold of a resistant variety to put out there. And some of those may be more difficult to find, but be prepared that if you have a lot of frog eye and you need a fungicide, you might need to consider a different fungicide mode of action to get effective management. And finally, uh, soybean cyst nematode. You know, this is still the number one soybean pathogen in the country. And so we do have resistance to the nematode. Most of that, unfortunately, comes from one source of resistance, PI-88788. And we are getting adaptation of the nematode to that. The good news is we do have a new source of resistance that has been released and incorporated into commercially available soybean varieties. Uh, right now, those are available through Golden Harvest. That PI line is PI89772. So there's not many of them right now, but that variety or a different one, say with the Peking background or another, would be a good option to rotate with and help keep soybean cyst nematode population densities low. Where That's when they're easiest to manage, is if when you can keep them low, not allowing them to spike it, because they're hard to drive down. In addition, you've also got a lot of options for Phytophthora root and stem rot management. And so this is a disease that has been a particular problem for a number of people across eastern Nebraska. And the selection of varieties for Phytophthora resistance might be confusing. For Phytophthora, we have race-specific genes like RPS1C and RPS1K. And those are examples of genes that give you very good, excellent control of specific races of Phytophthora, which you may or may not have an idea what you have in those, in those fields, but those are the ones that have been the most effective. Well, on top of that, we also have tolerance ratings for many of our varieties. And so what that means is tolerance specifically in this case means a reduction of disease severity across all races. Not as effective as what you get for RPS1C or 1K, but if there were other races that weren't controlled by those resistance genes, tolerance means that you'd still get some level of reduction 
by selecting one with the highest possible level of tolerance in addition to that RPS gene. And so we definitely recommend that for fields where you've had a chronic problem with Phytophthora. If Phytophthora was a problem though, I would encourage you to also consider a seed treatment fungicide, but just know that Phytophthora is a fungal-like organism. It's actually an oomycete, and the same seed treatment fungicides that work on it don't necessarily uh, work on other things and vice versa. And so if you know what you've got is Phytophthora and you're looking for seed treatment options, we've got several to choose from, things like Ethoboxum and Oxothiapoproline, and also some of the older materials that we know did a good job, like Metalaxyl and Methanoxum. But if you use either one of those two, just know that you have to use the higher rate to get good effects on Phytophthora control. That would be my top for each corn and soybean. And I hope people will reach out if they have any questions about that and let us know what they're thinking. Great. Thank you so much. Yes, just like with weeds and, and other pests, it's always really important. Make sure that we're trying to rotate out and not just depending on one variety or hybrid or mode of action or any of that because unfortunately that just causes our our pest or weed to mutate a little faster and overcome that and it's worth uh mentioning too that i i didn't mention earlier that i don't think we're talking enough about the impact of soybean cyst nematode on sds development and so we're talking about a nematode and a fungus working together well not literally but from the plant's perspective, it's a double whammy. And so the, when the nematode is present in a field, you are more likely to have SDS develop earlier and become more severe than if the nematode wasn't there. And so that's just one more reason to manage the nematode too. Great, great advice. Do you have any programs or articles coming out that are related to this topic? Well, we've been trying to to get this information out in a number of ways. And so uh, we do have a CropWatch article that was released. You and I co-authored that. I think November the 19th is when that came out. And we also, uh, I think people will see the Market Journal episode coming up this week here in a couple of days, December 11th or so. We'll be talking about it there. And they'll probably hear and see this on a few other, on social media, and I'm guessing maybe even on the radio. We just can't stop thinking about some of these things. And in the wintertime, planning ahead can certainly save you some money. Definitely. And like you said, now's the time to make those decisions. And when it's fresh in your head of what fields had what problems or if any, and how to try to mitigate those risks moving forwards into next year. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope everybody has a safe holiday season and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. 